Please turn with me in your Bibles to Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. Through the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit by the, on the vines. Through the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be, may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Even good people from time to time, I mean, even the people of God from time to time are tempted to want to argue with God. Even God's people from time to time are tempted to want to argue with God. If you've not reached a point in your life where you would like to have a conversation with God, if you've not asked the question, why has this happening or why am I going through this, then just live a little bit longer. And you might reach a point in your life where you would like to argue with God for a minute. Not in a disrespectful, distasteful way, but you've got a question to ask. That's what Job did. Isn't that right? Job just wanted to have an interesting conversation with God. I don't think at any point that Job reached a point where he thought, you know what, God, you don't exist. Job never reached a point in his life where he questioned the existence or questioned whether or not God was there. He was just wondering why. Why is this happening? Tonight I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. And we're going to see another conversation that takes place with God. This is the prophet Habakkuk. Now, when you think of Habakkuk, it may be a few days since you've looked at Habakkuk. It might have been a few days, but understand, when you look at Habakkuk, Habakkuk is backwards. He does everything exactly backwards from most of the other prophets. And with other prophets, you know, God is going to come to the prophet with a message for his people. So God has a message that he wants to give his people, and so he comes to the prophet, he gives them the the message, and he says, now go and tell my people. Habakkuk does it backwards. Habakkuk doesn't wait for God to speak to him. Habakkuk goes directly to God. And that's what you find. I want you to see it with me tonight. And I want this to to be a lesson that is encouraging, one that I hope will help you, because we're going to reach points in our lives at different times where we have these types of questions. Questions like, God, do you have a clue what's going on? Do you know what's happening? We're going to talk about this more in just a moment, but I don't mean for these questions to be disrespectful. I just mean for these questions to be in an honest moment. God, are you really listening to my cries? Are you really there? Are you really paying attention? It seems that I keep praying, and it's as if you're not there. It's as if you're not listening. Why does it seem that you're not helping? Why does it seem that this is going on in my life? Now understand that Habakkuk has seen a few things take place in his life, and we're going to get into this more in just a moment. But this is what he's going to do. He's going to come to God with a question, and God's going to respond. And so then he's going to come back to God with a second question, and God is going to respond a second time. And then tonight we're going to close by looking at the final words Brian read for us just a moment ago. You ever uh, watch the end of a movie? And you watch the end of a movie and you think, I I think I know how this movie probably starts. 
If you're a Hallmark fan around Christmas time, you can go to the end of the movie and you can just go ahead and guess how it started, right? You know how it starts every time. In Habakkuk, if you look at the end that Brian read for us just a moment ago, and you think to yourself, I bet I know how this this starts, you're going to surprise yourself because you're not going to see it coming. He ends with praise in chapter 3. But I want you to see tonight where he starts. In Habakkuk chapter 1, the Bible says in verse number 1, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and there strife and contention arise. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. God, I am crying out to you and it's as if you're not there. How long will I cry and you will not hear? How long do I have to waste my breath and I'm just sitting here and I'm wondering where you are? It's as if you're aloof. It's as if you're not there. It's as if you're not paying any attention. A couple of things have Habakkuk's attention in these first few chapters. I want you to notice that that he is looking at God and he's saying, Look, God, these are your people. I mean, these are your people. This is the the tribe of Judah, the southern kingdom. He said, I'm a part of this people, and I'm looking around at your people, God, and they are horrible. I mean, they are just doing some very wicked things. He said, I'm looking around, and there are wickedness, and they are mistreating each other. There is not justice anywhere to be found. God, I'm crying out to you about your own people. Are you watching? Are you paying attention? Well, Habakkuk also knew something else was on the horizon, it seems. God's going to tell him about it more, but, you know, anybody with eyes open can see that there's trouble on the horizon. You know, about a hundred years before Habakkuk wrote, Habakkuk uh, would have heard of the northern kingdom of Israel being carried away into Assyrian captivity. He probably wasn't alive to watch that happen, but, but he'd heard of it and knew what had taken place that... Assyria had come in and taken that northern kingdom back to Nineveh and into Assyrian captivity, and they had basically gone into oblivion. And now, now there's this, uh, this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. He's running a kingdom called Babylon. He, he's got a son by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is just chomping at the bit to get control of the army of Babylon. And when Nebuchadnezzar gets control of that army, they're already on the march. Habakkuk has watched as Nineveh has fallen to Babylon, and he understands that Babylon is making their way over. So there are two things on the mind of Habakkuk, it would seem. There's corruption within the people of God, and there's this outside influence making their presence known. And so he's crying out to God, how long are you going to allow this to continue? But you know what's often the case? Sometimes we we blame. I can see this. I can see these people. They're mistreating each other. And I can see, you know, I can hear about this army that's on the march. and, And so I'm really upset with the whole situation. Can I ask you a question? Who's Habakkuk really pointing the finger at? 
And really what he's doing is pointing his finger, not outward, but upward. That's really where he is upset. He is really upset with God. I want you to notice in verses 2 and 3, let me read it again and emphasize this. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? Can I ask you, who's he really pointing his finger at? Who am I? Who do I tend to point my finger at? You see, I'm looking out here and I, God, I've got all these problems. I've got all these situations and I'm really upset with somebody out here and, and they're really causing me a lot of harm. But ultimately, I know you can do something about it. You see, he's not questioning the existence of God, is he? In fact, he knows that God is in control. In fact, he understands that God has the power and ability to help him. And so he's asking, why aren't you? Why aren't you? In an honest moment, I suppose we all could ask ourselves, have I done that? You know, Julie and I, we've been married a few years now, and I suppose it'll happen, but we're waiting for our first fight. I suppose it's... Maybe going to come one of these days. A little bit tongue-in-cheek there. But, you know, Julie and I, we really try to fight fair. And when we counsel with, uh, with couples going through difficult times, we all have them. We want to fight fair. Tonight, as you look to the book of Habakkuk, I want to remind us how we fight fair when it comes to our relationship with God. Habakkuk shows us how to do this. He shows us that you can trust in God, that you can know that God exists and yet ask questions of God. I'm telling you, Habakkuk is in your Bible for a reason. Because I've felt that way, and you have felt that way. I can get frustrated, and we can start pointing the finger upward at God. Habakkuk helps us here, and tonight I hope you'll see it. Continue reading in verse number 5. What's God going to say to this? God's going to say, Look among the nations and watch and be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed for themselves. Listen, this is how he describes the Babylonian army. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing the power to his God. Habakkuk is questioning, God, where are you? We've got problems here and I want you to do something about it. Are you paying attention? And God says, uh, Habakkuk, I know exactly what's going on and you better believe I'm on it. I know exactly what's going on and I am on it. Break that down for me a second. God says, Habakkuk, I know. You want to fight fair with God? Don't question His knowledge about anything. 
You remember who he is. Habakkuk is not going to forget this. He's just in a moment of frustration. In a moment of anger, as it were, he is questioning God. Are you really there? And God says, I'm telling you I'm there. I know everything. I know exactly what you're, what, what you're going through. I know exactly what's going on with my people. And I have a plan. I'm on it. You like to uh, play with those little emojis on your phone? Isn't it incredible how many of those things there are? I mean, you could just thumb through forever and find any emoji that you're looking for. Have you ever seen the little emoji on your phone with the guy and his mind is blown, the mind blown emoji? Put that right here in Habakkuk. Habakkuk, I'm going to work a plan in your days that you wouldn't believe even if it were told you. I am about to blow your mind. That army that you've heard about, Yeah, I'm bringing them over. Those Chaldeans are going to come over here. The Babylonians are going to come over here. And they're going to utterly destroy you. I'm on it. What I want to remember from this context is very simple. God knows my problems. He knows what I'm going through. He knows exactly what's happening in this life. And God has existed from beginning all the way to the end. God has always been, and He knows, and He's on it. When I am tempted to question God, I want to fight fair. I want to never forget who He is and the power that alone belongs to Him. Habakkuk, I want you to remember that that's what's going to happen. I'm on it. So now Habakkuk responds. (laughs) Habakkuk responds in verse number 12. And Habakkuk, again, is going to offer these words that tell us that he never forgets who God is. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours? Sum it up again. Habakkuk says, in essence, God, are you really sure about this? I mean, look, I told you the issue that we're having. I'm having an issue with your people. They're wicked, and yes, they need to be dealt with. I've been watching these heathens come over here, and God, are you really going to use the heathens? I mean, those who are not your people. You're going to use the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to come over here, and you're going to let them handle this? Are you sure about that? You ever... uh... You ever thought that about God? You ever thought that about what was going on in your life? It's, uh, it's part of being a young person. I know that because I was young once, and I have children who are young. I love those boys. They're good boys. They do a lot of great things. But they're always thinking. They're always thinking. Just like I was at that age, I was always thinking, you know, what could I do? So, uh, you know, mom and dad have said, I can't do this. And so the wheels are turning because I really want to do that. And so I'm going to come up with a plan. And I'm going to get them on board with my plan. I did the same thing. And I bet you did too. 
So you would go to your parents. You already got a plan. You already know how they should handle it. And so you would go and say, look, this is the situation, and this is what I think you should do. And, uh, and they don't do it. <laughs> and you say, no, no, what's wrong with you? You're not getting it. You, this is the plan. This is the way you need to do it. I just wonder, in Habakkuk's mind, when he cries out to God in the beginning of chapter 1, I just wonder when he tells God about the wickedness that's going on, I just wonder if Habakkuk had a way in his mind that he thought God should handle it. God says, I'm going to handle it, but I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to tell you what my plan is, and it would never have crossed your mind what my plan is. You need to be okay with that. I need to be okay with that. I need to understand who God is and what He will do. And He will always do what is right and best. Now Habakkuk knows that in his mind, like you and I know that in ours. But God, are you sure about this? Now, can you pause with me for just a moment and appreciate verse number 13. If you're going to fight fair with God, this is the right perspective for you and I to have when it comes to God. In verse number 13, he says of God, You are of purer eyes than to behold evil, and you cannot look on wickedness. God, you are holy, and you cannot tolerate what is wrong. You are holy, and you cannot tolerate what is wrong. Beside verse number 13, in your copy of God's Word, write the word Calvary. Calvary. Because chapter 1 and verse 13 gives us a picture of the cross. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil. You cannot look on wickedness. It reminds us of something great about God. This is a tremendous truth, my friend. God is holy and He cannot deal with sin. He cannot be around it. He is of holy eyes. He cannot look on wickedness. He cannot tolerate what is evil. But man has sinned. You and I have sinned. And so the question is, what's God going to do with that? And I'm suggesting tonight there are two options. Number one, you just let man get the consequences, reap the consequences of his actions. You just let man have to bear the consequences. Or, you provide a substitute that will handle the consequences. And that, my friends, is exactly what God did. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, we learn that God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. Calvary tells us this is how God handled what, what He could not do with sin and man in His sin. And then you turn over to the New Testament. Keep your finger in Habakkuk, but run over to Romans chapter 3. And this is exactly what we see in Habakkuk 1 in verse number 13. In Romans chapter 3 in verse 23, catch it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that verse. But what is God going to do? He cannot look on evil. And so what is He going to do? Is He just going to allow man to bear his own sin? Or is He going to provide a substitute, innocence, to bear the sins of man? In Romans chapter 3, verse number 24, 
The Bible says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, the one who removes the wrath of God by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness. Listen, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's how God took care of it. Habakkuk 1 and verse 13. You see, what I'm saying is, when I have that tendency or when I have that desire perhaps, when I am tempted to approach God in somewhat of an angry way, questioning Him and what's going on in my life, I am coming before the One who is rich in mercy. I am coming before the One who allowed His Son to take my place, who allowed His Son to bear my sin on the cross, who allowed His Son to taste death for me. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. He tasted death for you, my friend, and He tasted death for me. He bore my sin on His body, in His body, on the tree. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24. When I am tempted to come before God and question Him, I must be fair. I must remember who He is in comparison to who I am. And I want to make sure that when I ask God, are you sure about this? That I remember who He is. That's Habakkuk's second question. God, are you really sure? Are you sure that's how we need to handle this? Are you really positive? Because uh, that doesn't sound pleasant. In fact, that sounds very unpleasant. That sounds horrible, God. What's God going to say to that? Here's God's second response. Habakkuk 2, verses 2 through 4. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That's what God says. Habakkuk, what I've told you is absolutely true and it's going to happen. You don't have to know all the details. You know, again, this is a, my parents speaking to me as a young person. When they say uh, things like, Adam, you just need to trust me. Mm, I didn't like that. You know, not always was I satisfied with that response. Just trust me. I remember, uh, remember when Miss Elsie was in the hospital. Believe it or not, you may not believe this if you weren't there and didn't see it, but she was not communicating. It was amazing because if, if you spend any time around Miss Elsie, if you came up here and sat down or in the pew uh, out there in the foyer, it was very difficult to get away from Miss Elsie. It was very difficult. If you went to her house, it was extremely difficult to get out the door because she had more to say. She was lonely and she wanted to visit and so she wanted to communicate. But in the hospital, she wasn't saying much of anything. She didn't know a lot about what was going on. And I was trying hard to make decisions, to do what was best in my, in my view for her. And at one point, I remember looking her in the face. And I said, Miss Elsie, 
Do you trust me? And she wasn't saying much of anything those days. But I remember she looked up at me and she said, I trust you. You know, we, we want to live our lives in a trustworthy way, right? You want people to look you in the face and say, I trust you. We want to be those kind of people because we know that's who God calls us to be. That's what He demands and expects of us as His children, to be people who are trustworthy. But the bottom line is, I couldn't save her. I did what I could. But it was out of my reach. I couldn't provide everything that she needed. I had the best of intentions, and you know that's right. I know that you have the best of intentions. And I know that when my parents said something like, trust me, they really wanted me to trust them. But some things are out of our reach. Try as hard as we may, it's out of our reach. So listen to me. When God says, trust me, nothing is out of His reach. Nothing is out of His reach. When God says, listen, Habakkuk, you don't have to know all the details. You don't have to know all the uh, crossing the X's and T's and dotting the I's. You don't need to know all the details. What I'm telling you, you need to trust. This is going to happen. I have said it's going to happen, and it will. So you wait quietly. You keep your place. Your job, Habakkuk, write it down. Write down what I've said. Write it in a legible way. He didn't tell me to do it. He's seen my handwriting. But he says, make it plain on tablets. You see that in verse number 2? Make it plain on tablets that whoever reads it may run. You are to provide the warning. You need to know that what I've said is absolutely going to take place. Tell people and give them warning. You wait. And then at the end of verse number 4, does that sound familiar to you? The just shall live by his faith. Does that sound like something quoted over in the New Testament? Yeah, if you're a good Bible student, automatically you perk up. You know that's quoted in the New Testament. You probably know Romans chapter 1 in verse number 17. That's where it's quoted. It's also quoted in other places over in the New Testament, like Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, and Hebrews chapter 10, verses 37 through 39. Wait patiently. Wait and live in faithfulness. This, my friend, is a passage of tremendous hope. Listen, Habakkuk. Those people of mine are rebelling against me. And it has to be dealt with. I am a righteous God and I will do what needs to be done. But you live in faithfulness. You trust me and you stay put. When I am tempted to argue with God, I want to never forget who He is and the trust that I should have in Him. And I want to keep my place. What ultimately God is saying to the prophet is, you stay with me. And I will see you through. I don't know what you have going on in your life right now. I don't know all the struggles that you have. 
I don't know if you're tempted like Habakkuk to go to God and, and question Him the way that the prophet does. But tonight, these are great truths that you and I need to remember when it comes to God. Now, in the rest of chapter 2, God is going to say to Habakkuk, Listen, I know how wicked those Babylonians are. I know them too. I know what my people are up to, and I know them, and I know how bad they are and the wickedness that they're committing. And so you just need to know that in the future, I'm going to take care of them too. I don't want you to think that they're going to get off, and they can just be wicked, and I'm not going to pay attention to it. That's the rest of chapter 2. I want to finish tonight in chapter 3. I want you to think about how he really does respond. Because this is the attitude, my friend, when it comes to my times with God, my relationship with Him, these are the thoughts that I must have of God. In chapter 3, in verse number 1, the Bible says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet on Shinignoth. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years make it known, and in wrath remember mercy. Isn't it amazing how this letter is going to start and then how it's going to end? Your people are wicked and you need to do something about it. How long will I cry out to you and you will not respond? How long, God, do I have to put up with this? To getting to the end. God, let me never forget who you are. Now listen, here's you and I in the flesh. We're just like Habakkuk. He's just a common man, just like us. He's experiencing all the same emotions that you and I go through. This is practical. This is real. This is a time for us to learn something. Here's what real. All right, verse number 16. When I heard, when I heard that plan that you gave about the Chaldeans coming over here and destroying us, when I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones and I trembled in myself that I might rest, wait quietly in the day of trouble. When He comes up to the people, He will invade them with His troops. You have the picture in your mind of what Habakkuk is feeling? Do you know what God has just told him? Habakkuk, that kingdom of yours is going to fall. You are going to be destroyed. My people, because of their wickedness, are going to be punished. And this heathen nation, bloodthirsty, those who can gather up captives like they gather up sand, they're coming. And they're going to get you. Habakkuk says, when you told me that, God... My whole body trembled. My whole body shook. My lips began to quiver. God, I understand that what you're saying is absolutely going to take place. Now, what are you going to say next? In verse number 17, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines... Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. What's that a picture of? Extreme famine and drought. 
God, I see it. You have spoken this, and I know that what you're saying is going to happen. When I heard it, my whole body began to tremble. Habakkuk can already see in his mind exactly what God is saying. God, I see what's coming. I know that we're going to be uh, in dire straits. And so, God, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to just turn my back on you. I'm just going to throw my hands up and quit. You're not telling me what I want to hear. You're not doing what I want you to do. And so I am done with you. What are you tempted to say? What are you tempted to do? I wonder, would you really respond the way that Habakkuk does? You've given me all this bad news, but God, I really do trust you. (laughs) And then he says something so weird. He just says something so weird. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. You saw that one coming, didn't you? Me neither. It's just not normal. It's just not natural. In the bleak picture that God provides, the prophet says, I will rejoice in the Lord and I will joy in the God of my salvation. My friend, when it comes to life, we need to find joy in God. My joy is in you. Listen to me carefully. We are tempted because we are in the flesh. And because we live where we live, and we have everything that we want at our fingertips, we are tempted to say that my joy is really in my circumstances. I will find joy in my circumstances. If I, if I want to watch something, I will find pleasure in watching it. If I want to go do something with my kids or my grandkids, that will bring me joy. My circumstances will bring me joy. Do you see the circumstances that the prophet sees are coming? You don't need to tie your joy to circumstances. Where is his joy? It's only in God. That's where we find real and lasting joy. Habakkuk was shaking in his bones, shuddering at the judgment that was coming, but he finds joy in his God. This is the last slide tonight, but I'm telling you, this is something we need to take to heart. (laughs) The ending just doesn't really match the beginning does it? A book that starts with seriously questioning God ends only in praise. I want to have that kind of relationship with God, don't you? I want to find joy that is really rooted in a right relationship with Him. We talk about it. I don't know. I just have no idea. We talk about it, we talk about times of persecution, and we talk about times of changing, and I don't know if we'll see it. I really don't. And you don't either, quite frankly. But I know this. 
if it gets bad and when it gets worse. This is the attitude I have to have with God. I want to remember always who He is. I want to know that He is in control, that He loves me, and ultimately through Calvary, He has provided eternal relief. Where's your joy tonight? Tempted we might be in anger to question God. Tempted we might be in times of frustration to have a conversation and say, God, you just don't know. Where's your joy tonight? Do you really find joy tonight in being in a right relationship with God? He is not against you, my friend. He is so very much for you. His desire is for you to be saved. His desire is not for your happiness in this life, although He does want that, certainly. His greatest desire is your eternal happiness in heaven with Him. And He, my friend, has provided an opportunity and a way for you to experience that kind of joy with Him. Tonight, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you ready to make that confession before those assembled here tonight? To repent of sin in your life? To be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins, meeting the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for you? Tonight, my friend, you can find what real joy is all about. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, it's extended to you. As a Christian, maybe tonight you're one of those who has been questioning God about events going on in your world. Tonight, if you need to repent of such, and you need to do so in a public way, we want to help you any way that we can. Tonight, if you're going through difficult times and you need your brethren to pray with you and for you, that's all we want to do. If we can help you in any way, then please come now. While together we stand.